We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Rich Hanley, Associate Professor of Journalism at Quinnipiac University in Hamden. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Rich, here we are in early 2019. What sticks out to you about how the media landscape, both nationally and here in Connecticut, have been evolving of late? Well, it's all uh, you know, a freight trade headed toward going all digital. Uh, you know, particularly on the um, on the newspaper side, um, as newspapers continue to decline in circulation and ad revenue, uh, they're still trying to figure out ways to uh, replace that ad revenue and circulation with a uh, digital money and uh, and digital eyeballs. It's a tough it's a tough market to crack. Um, there's a lot of self inflicted wounds there, uh, but you do hate to see you know great news organizations like the Hartford Current. Um, you know, shed some of their some of their top reporters because they're trying to scale their operation to their revenue model, um, and it doesn't seem to be going up. Uh, you know, in terms of revenue, anytime soon. When you say self-inflicted wounds, what do you mean? Well, you know, in the in the 1990s, when um, the internet was first percolating, um, you know, as a as a mass medium for people, uh, that that would be greater public access, you know, toward it. Newspapers had this exceptional opportunity to capitalize on that space simply because of their structure. The internet is nothing more than an information machine, and newspapers had a manuing system called headlines. Um, they knew how to write condensed, uh, distilled stories, uh, which is perfect for an internet audience. You know, a couple of paragraphs, three, four paragraphs, boom, and move on to something else. You know, and they had an audience. You know, they had readers who could they could you know easily transfer over to digital. You know, but charge them for it instead of giving their product away. Uh, but newspaper management did at that time was uh, you know raking in the cash. Many of them are monopolies. Why mess with success? Uh, but unfortunately, the the internet uh, was designed to undermine their old model, um, and it did. And newspaper management um, advertising. Uh, folks, uh, advertising executives were caught um, off guard, uh, arrogant, whatever reason uh, it was. But they, the, the internet just overwhelmed them, and they couldn't, and they haven't been able to recover. Uh, you know, it's been now you know, a generation or two since the internet emerged, and news organizations uh, on the newsprint side are still trying to figure out a model. And I don't see any model out there that that will work for them. The nonprofit model uh, in, in cities like New Haven uh, with uh, the New Haven Independent um, and the Connecticut Health Investigative Team, of which I'm on the board of directors, full disclosure, seem to have um, come up with a model where um, foundation grants, donations, um, and small-sized staffs work for very specialized coverage. But a, a news organization like The Current you know, with its scale or what was once its scale, you know, needs advertising dollars, um, you know, to 
fulfill its mission of journalism to pay the reporters, pay the editors, pay the photogs, etc. The bottom line is that advertisers are not willing to pay as much for digital as they were for, say, a print ad, right? That's right. As you know, you know, print dollars, you know, digital pennies. <laughs> that's that's because you can if they're cheap to produce. You can put them um, anywhere on any site. You know, given the algorithms and the a programmatic um, way advertising runs now where you can get selected sites, you can customize your ad to reach a really precise demographic and do it um, on a, a very low cost. I mean, just a Facebook ad is is cheap. And you could tailor that ad to a very specific demographic that's interested in stuff that you would want to sell them. And so it's more uh, targeted, um, it's cheaper, and it's on, and it's, it's an endless pool of content you know, on which to attach your message. So for advertisers and companies that, that, that do spend a lot of money on advertising, the internet is much cheaper. And, you know, for old newspaper mainstays like um, department stores, well, those are becoming relics. So you're losing that Sunday circular advertising. You're losing those full-page ads for the mall stores, the anchor stores, because they're going, like Sears, you know, they're going away. Um, and Amazon certainly doesn't need to buy a full-page spread in the current to to move product. It doesn't need to do that sort of thing. Um, so the newspaper environment is, is, is deteriorating, um, but there is a need, obviously, for the journalism. And the question is, what will replace that that model that's beginning to go away? And um, nobody really has a, quite the answer to it. On the upside, local television news remains strong. Um, it's still holding its audience. People still want to watch the, the, the 6 o'clock news. They still want to watch it at 10 and 11. Uh, and more importantly, they want to watch it in the morning to look you know, traffic and weather, that stuff. And, and radio, my favorite medium of all, you know, it, it, it is still listened to by 93% of the population. And that's often overlooked. You know, people you know, suggest that radio is a dying medium. Um, no, it, it's not dying. It's just not as powerful as it once it was once where people would listen all day. Uh, but people do tune in. And when you get a number, that, that number is better than uh, is, is more than the the number of folks who are on the internet every day, and that's an important distinction. You know, so the radio radio is still important, but radio, like newspapers, still faces some business model issues that need to be corrected in some way as the move toward digital uh, digital uh, delivery you know persists. Going back to the landscape of newspapers in Connecticut, it seems that there are two really big players. You have the Current, and you have Hearst Connecticut Media, which slowly has been expanding its footprint. Now it it has the New Haven Register, it had the Connecticut Post, Greenwich Time, just to name a few, and now it seems to be maybe making inroads into the central and eastern part of the state, just looking at what, what they're choosing to cover. Yeah, Hearst, Connecticut is the player now. Uh, they're, the, they're in the uh, acquisition mode. You know, they don't have the Hartford Current quite encircled yet, but that day I suspect is coming. And they're poaching the Current's reporters and columnists, Jeff Jacobs and Colin McEnroe. And they're now the face of Hearst, Connecticut media. You know, in the Sunday paper, they're, they're there, front and center. Um, and that's putting a personality that people are uh, accustomed to, you know, on page one. Um, and so you could see down the road where Hearst could possibly make a play for the Hartford market, given the personalities it has attracted to work for it. And the way it's beginning to um, cover cover um, you know events, uh, cover the state capital, cover government, state government news uh, more thoroughly than, quite frankly, the current can with its um, you know, emaciated staff. It just doesn't have the you know the boots on the ground. And, and Hearst, Connecticut, can assemble you know several reporters uh, from its many news organizations in Connecticut to to go and um, 
flood the zone at the at the uh, at the state capitol. So I, I I think Hearst will make a play at some point in the Hartford market. I don't know when that play will be, but the momentum is in that direction, and they are investing money in journalism. Maybe not as much as we'd like to see, uh, but they are investing money. So they're all in in Connecticut at least. Uh, and let, let's hope that that in some way resuscitates print journalism or online journalism. There's really no distinction. More and more people getting their stuff online, just journalism per se. Let's just get journalism, you know, uh, back to its uh, its former days of glory. You know, when you had a lot of reporters covering every town um, and holding state officials and local officials accountable for their decisions. Now, at the same time, we're seeing a move by journalists at the Hartford Current, many of them to unionize. What do you think is behind that? Well, this is this is a long time coming. It's it's just that uh, you know under the you know, the present ownership, there's no leverage. I mean, the, the reporters have no seat at the table when layoffs are announced or when layoffs are targeted towards certain groups within the uh, the news organization. So the uh, the natural response is to organize and get a seat at that table and have a voice in the conversation and sort of guide this. Uh, soft decline, uh, let's be tr- you know, honest about it, um, in a way that doesn't harm the, the journalistic integrity of the news organization. I mean, laying off a lot of people, it's, it's a hard thing to do for any manager. No one wants to do that. Uh, but it's a fact of news, the newspaper business now. But it hasn't been done coherently or with a sense that you got to maintain the integrity of the journalistic operation. Now, I think the, um, the union will give reporters a seat at that table. They can negotiate uh, from a position of collective strength as opposed to individual weakness. Um, and that will, in a way, maintain the, the baseline journalistic integrity of, of the operation. At least that's what we hope. Um, I don't think there's any downside to unionizing. And, and I also, it, I mean, for management, it streamlines negotiations. Um, it gives, um, gives them another uh, a perspective on things as they face this decline and try to manage it um, without – killing the business. Let's talk a little about the importance of newspapers in particular to democracy. I mean, certainly radio and TV, they do original reporting, but often it's the newspapers that set the tone because they they have more journalists. Right. And news, newspapers are lodged in individual communities and have several journalists to cover those individual uh, communities. Uh, radio and TV have broader markets. Like uh, that's why in in the television business, weather, you know, is the, the the top target of investment, you know, by by stations because weather is the only story that affects the whole market. Um, so why not go all in on weather and stuff and uh, traffic, too? Um but the newspapers would send the reporters to cover the city council or the uh, zoning board of appeals and, you know, keep an eye on things. Um, and, and because of that, you know, democracy thrived. And when the studies have shown that when uh, smaller newspapers or community newspapers uh, go away, uh, corruption tends to um, replace that, that sort of integrity of government uh, that, that's essential to a thriving democracy. Because if there's no one watching – Pretty much, you know, you can manipulate your tax dollars or manipulate deals with, um, you know, private contractors to do whatever you wish. But when the newspaper reporters there checking the records, looking at permits, etc., 
it, that's makes it makes it harder to do. But even more important than that, because I, I do believe most public officials are honest and want to do a good job for their communities. That they, they honestly do. They're underpaid and overworked. All they do is get complaints all day. Most of them are good, honest, hardworking citizens who are interested in thriving communities. But there are some who are not. It's just that when the newspaper's there, uh, they can hold people accountable for decisions and inform the community and as such enhance the political discussion and you get people together, then you can solve problems. When people are apart, it's no conversation. It's no way problems can be solved. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Rich Hanley, Associate Professor of Journalism at Quinnipiac University in Hamden. Any predictions nationally or locally on the media landscape as we uh, you know, work our way through 2019? Well, the, the the movement you know toward toward digital will con, you know continue apace. Um, uh, you know, you know at the national level, the sort of unbundling of cable and the uh, emergence of these really niche um, per month fees for uh, various um, products like ESPN Plus, uh, Hulu, uh, Netflix, you know, and so on and so forth, replacing sort of the network model. Uh, but ironically. People are beginning to look at their bills. They're saying, well, wouldn't it be good if somebody bundled all these into one? So it seems that it's going to circle back to cable television, a skinny bundle, as they call it, you know, with, with more choices for a different sort of a lineup instead of, you know, one size fits all. I think, I think that's in the cards. And that affects news, you know, in the sense that cable news is part of the basic cable package. Um, and people just, you know, look, listen to Fo- watch Fox, MSNBC, CNN, um, and so on. And, and just graze on the news that way. Um, with cable, it's easy to do, to have those different choices. If they have these skinny bundles, people may want to just do Fox, people may want to just do MSNBC, and that doesn't that doesn't help anyone. You want to have a diversity of, view, of perspectives. But I think the real big story is going to be in sports. This is a multi-billion dollar business. You know, over the next few years, the television broadcast contracts and cable contracts for the NFL, NBA, um, and so on expire, and for the first time, traditional broadcasters uh, will be confronted with tech companies, or previously tech companies like Amazon, Netflix, Google through its YouTube subsidiary, bidding for these pro for these pro to telecast pro pro games, and they are just filthy rich. They're sitting on mountains of cash while the networks are struggling a bit. So Google, for example can give the NFL whatever the NFL wants to put NFL games on YouTube. Amazon can do the same thing. Netflix, same thing. They can, st- And that's, to me, going to be the, uh, the biggest story as we move toward those contract expiration dates um, and negotiations continue. Because that would m- amount to a, a fundamental shift in the broadcasting um, landscape. Uh, it makes the television networks almost superfluous because live sports drives everything. That's why the of the top 10 shows, most are NFL games. Um, if you get most of your NFL games through a Amazon or Netflix or YouTube, what do the networks have to offer to promote their other programs as well as this you know, dominating ad, um, ad dollars? And so it'll change the landscape in a way that I don't think the networks are quite capable of understanding. But it does show why NBC um, bid almost in perpetuity to, to broadcast the Olympic Games, both winter and summer, because it gives them some live TV um, and sort of protects them against any 
um, incursion um, into the uh, sports broadcasting ecosystem by these tech companies. From time to time, we see these fights between the TV stations and the cable companies in terms of how much is going to be paid in order to, to broadcast their signal on the cable system. And you see these crawls at the bottom of the screen saying, you may lose this. What is that all about? Oh, that's, you know, talk about self-inflicted wounds. You know, you have, you know, two elements of the media ecosystem, you know, the local broadcasters and cable TV who are losing some, somewhat, some audience. And, you know, and they're fighting over pennies and taking, you know, a hit because of it. You know, they're taking a signal off, off the cable and that just upsets the uh, audience. Why would you want to do that? If your industry is flat or declining or not growing as much as you think, why would you want to upset your customers? And, and that's just a lose-lose arrangement that, I, that, uh, that, one, it shocks me, but it also appalls me. As someone who's interested in media business, you know, I understand why you're trying to maximize revenue. I get that. But you need an audience. Why, why do you want to take audience away when you're fighting over you know, what, what amounts to pennies? Come to an agreement. Keep this, these sort of deals um, from blossoming in the public realm where people are, are fearful they're not going to see their, the newscasts they watch. They're fearful they're not going to see the games they watch. Um, and then when they leave, they don't come back. And if they don't come back, your b- businesses on both sides um, suffer. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I think uh, executives – um, need to be more mature and more realistic in terms of the landscape they face. It's not a pretty, it's 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 not a pretty picture. And this sort of, you know, internecine warfare um, does nothing but hurt everybody, including uh, most importantly of all the audience that wants to watch some local local television, particularly the local news. Okay, journalism one hundred and one. I saw a study this past week from Columbia Journalism Review finding that 60% of respondents, 54% of Democrats, and 70% of Republicans believe reporters get paid by their sources sometimes or very often. That's not the way it works. Is <laughs> no, it? no, 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 it doesn't work that way. You know, I know journalists are underpaid and overworked, but uh, uh, they don't take money for favors. They just they do their job, and they do it very well uh, and often, um, you know, pretty bad conditions. But no, uh, sources don't slip a gym bag full of 20s or an envelope full of 10s over to a journalist for favorable coverage. doesn't work that way. Uh, that sort of checkbook journalism, you know, can sometimes work the other way in terms of tabloids, the, the main the supermarket tabloids, where you pay someone for a story. But in day-to-day journalism, no one's getting paid uh, for stories. It doesn't, doesn't, that, that doesn't work that way. But it does point to a, a, a perception that's very damaging to the credibility and integrity of news-gathering organizations. There's some reason why people believe that. I'm sure it's politically motivated in some way. Well, that, that candidate gets better coverage than that other candidate, or how come you're not covering this uh, event, or you know these various false equivalencies that pop up uh, in social media and are spread, which is just nothing more than a spasm of disinformation. So journalism has a credibility problem. And journalism needs to address it. How they address that, public service announcements, get people in the newsroom, show them how a, how a journalist actually operates, uh, show them what it's like to work under deadline pressure, show them what it's like when you don't get your phone calls returned, to go through public documents, to try to find the source of some anomalies in the public budget. That, that's how it really works. No one's getting, um, no one's getting bribed, um, you know, certainly in day-to-day journalism, but particularly local journalism or in national journalism. No one would risk their career. Um, 
to engage in that sort of tawdry behavior. But it does point to a problem as referenced earlier, and that is that that number um, really believes sources are paying journalists. Well, then that becomes reality to the audience. And the, it's up to the journalists now to flip that. Say, no, we don't get paid, and they should respond by showing how the job is actually done. In fact, you get fired if you, if, yeah, if yeah, you do yeah. That. yeah, and then you'll never get a job again. I mean, and, and no, no one wants that to happen. And, and the people who are attracted to journalism aren't in it for the money. That's just the fact, because you look at the salaries, uh, starting salaries for some of these positions, you know what I mean? You know, quite, these are professionally um, educated folks who've got college degrees, sometimes a master's degree. They've put a lot of time and effort in their training to try to get into the business. And, you know, they're, and they're, they're starting paying some markets just like 20000 a year or $33,000 a year in, a, in, the, in the Northeast where you're trying to make a feed a family on that. It's hard. And so these folks are in it because they love journalism and they wish to perform a public service. They're not the bribable types, uh, let's put it that way. They're, they're out there to do the job. And in fact, if someone were to try to bribe them, they'd report that and they would do a story on that. And so, and so that, that, I mean, I, the, the, the Columbia Journalism Review survey is, ac- is accurate in the sense that it reflects opinion and that opinion needs to shift and it's up to journalists to shift that perception um, to show how journalists actually operate and and how they're doing a great public service, and they're not taking money from anybody. What do you hear from students about the state of journalism? Is interest in the field increasing or waning or staying the same? Um, it's increasing. At Quinnipiac University, uh, our numbers in terms of enrollment and majors um, um, are up. Um, lots of uh, lots of students wish to get into broadcasting. The, they, 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 they love the, uh, the environment of broadcast, the, the, the adrenaline rush that comes with producing, a, producing and presenting a story. Um, and they're good, um, and they're dedicated, and they're passionate. They're, and that's it's not just television; uh, it's radio, it's uh, podcasting, it's new forms of multimedia. In particular, they like telling stories through different forms, you know, images, video, text, graphics, data uh, presentations, and so on. They seem to um, uh, have a, a good grasp that story. A story is no longer just words or just pictures. It's this amalgam of of elements that. It's almost like opera. They can tell a story through all sorts of different uh, mechanisms and make that story matter. They seem to um, to wish to apply meaning to their lives, and that meaning is is through the uh, practice of journalism. And you think about the current generation of college students. What have they faced in their entire life? Well, 9-11 as infants, war in Afghanistan and Iraq, Economic collapse, 2007, 2008. You know, there's just been a, this rolling thunder of bad news that's accompanied their lives. But instead of being cynical or bitter or uncertain, they say, well, let's take control of it ourselves. Let's tell the stories of people. Let's tell our story. Let's cover our generation and the student debt that we face, you know, the, in, um, the injustices that we see. And, and, and they're, really, they're really, really good about that. And it's, it's actually quite refreshing. Because I think this generation is more authentic than the generation that came of age in the 1960s, who we've all learned turned out to be phonies, the baby boomers in many respects. These, these kids aren't like that. They're not going to just flip around and turn and say, let's go try to make money. They're, they're passionate about things, and I think that has a lot to do with the way they've um, 
grown up and in the environment in which you know which they've matured um, with all the bad news that you know comes knocking on their door or comes into their smartphones every day you know you know in terms of economic problems and student debt and so on so I, I'm I'm impressed by them quite frankly in our last 30 seconds so what advice do you give students who want to get into the field um, learn to shoot and edit video learn to um, tell stories in uh, uh, multiple platforms don't specialize in one platform uh, become a master of them all um, and be very aggressive in looking looking for work there are a lot of jobs in journalism out there uh, they're just not the same jobs that say I was seeking um, as a young person right out of college social media management analytics data journalist work, learn how to run a work a spreadsheet that sort of thing and they can do that they got the skills. He is Rich Hanley, Associate Professor of Journalism at Quinnipiac University. Thanks for joining us this morning. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.